0: ...can be dismissed at Children's Church if they'd like to go. If Children's Church uh, for K- to second graders through the door over here, where all the kids are going. Proverbs chapter 18 is our text. Proverbs 18:21. It's on page 643. And congratulations to uh, our youth pastor, Chris Hemrick, on the birth of his daughter. Uh, and uh, Corey's daughter, Chloe Elizabeth, was born Friday. So she didn't want to be a leap year baby, so she waited till March 1st. Proverbs chapter 18 verse 21. It's good to be back with you. I was uh, gone in Florida last week. It was tough. It was tough. It's you know, it was like in the upper 80s for like five days. I mean, you know, I share that as a prayer request. So um, it's good to be back with you, though. Proverbs chapter 18 verse 21, page 643 in the pew Bibles. Proverbs 18.21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. I'd like to get a little uh, pet peeve off my chest this morning. I have many, but I'll just share one because time is limited. But um, I'm so frustrated that there's this whole thing against trans fats now because um, (laughs) I was was at my... uh, my favorite seafood restaurant this fall, and uh, I was ordering my very favorite seafood dish, fried whole belly clams with tartar sauce. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I looked at the thing and I said, you know, we don't use trans fat. And so the waitress came and I was like, uh, about the whole belly clams and the trans fat. She goes, oh yeah, we don't use trans fat. And I said, well, like, like what if someone hypothetically were to want trans fat? And she just kind of looked at me like I was dumb or something. And, and I said, I'm like, do you have any in the back maybe that you could sort of bring out and use for my clams? But, so apparently uh, trans fats are now one of those dangerous substances, one of those objects that have been banned or that people are protecting us from because they can hurt us. And it seems to be a lot of things like that, that, that or someone deems are dangerous Uh, You know, sort of an obvious one on a more serious note are, you know, firearms. And so every year there's new laws being passed to regulate and restrict and control and protect us from the danger of firearms. And different people have different opinions about that. Uh, Or sometimes it's cell phones. I don't know if you heard In New York City. Uh, in New York there's a law passed that, that if you're driving with a cell phone, you can actually be pulled over and fined because you're not allowed to drive with a cell phone. And so again, one of these things that's dangerous to protect us. But today I want to talk about the fact that as dangerous as those things may be, the reality is that you have on your person right now something far more deadly than trans fats or cell phones or even firearms, I think. Something that when you look at the history of the human race, You, you right now, have in your possession, in this room, something that has wreaked far more havoc than any of those things down through the centuries. This thing that you currently are holding has split up marriages. It has uh, profoundly affected children that shapes their trajectory into adulthood and the way they perceive themselves in life. Something that has divided friendships, that has sunk businesses, that has emptied out churches. It's a, a, something that you own that has been used to sway the directions of nations in war and peace. I mean, It's this amazingly powerful thing that you have. And this lethal weapon in your possession, this toxic substance, this incredibly uh, powerful item, is right here. Right? It's the power of speech. Or as it says in Proverbs... The tongue, in other words, speech, the tongue whole has the power of life and death. I mean, you can't get any more extreme than that. Life and death are brought about through this little thing we call speech. This little muscle in our mouths can be used to bring such good or to be, bring such destruction and ruin. Um, let's just look at a few more uh, passages in Proverbs that sort of point to the same truth. Look at Proverbs chapter 10, for instance. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 11. Just do a quick little survey through Proverbs here to see how often this theme of the power of the tongue comes up in Proverbs. Proverbs 10:11, "The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life." But violence overwhelms the mouth of the wicked. The, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. So, in this desert world where it is so hard, uh, a person who speaks truth and who uses their mouth in ways that glorify God can be like a fountain in the middle of the desert. Um, or look at Proverbs chapter fourteen, Proverbs chapter fourteen, verse three: "A fool's talk." Proverbs fourteen three brings a rod to his back. But the lips of the wise protect them. So if we use our mouths one way, it brings pain and rebuke. And if we use our mouths another way, it protects us and shields us from uh, harsh realities. Look at chapter 18, verse 7. Just a few more for you. Proverbs 18, verse 7. It says, A fool's mouth is his undoing. And his lips are a snare to his soul, so that our very substance of our lives can be uh, torn down. We, we can be undone, unravelled, simply through the use of our tongues. Or just one more. I, I don't want to belabor this too much. I think you get the point. Look at Proverbs twenty-one twenty-three. Proverbs twenty-one twenty-three says, "He who guards his mouth and his tongue keeps himself from." calamity. All of these made me think too in the New Testament of the book of James chapter 3. Some of you know that famous passage on the tongue and the power of speech. In fact, let's just look there if you want. James chapter 3. It's on page 1197. Just to pull in a little New Testament as well. James chapter 3. Page 1197. Again, the power of this little muscle the power of language to bring life or to bring death. James chapter 3 verse 1 says, "Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly." What am I doing up here? <laughs> yeah. Verse 3. We when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal and is itself set on fire by hell. The power of the tongue, like a little bit in a horse's mouth, and yet it can turn this huge animal wherever you want it to go, or like a little rudder on an enormous sailing vessel directs the whole ship uh, in the direction, or like a little spark can start an enormous conflagration if uh, unchecked. Or or I thought of a modern example. You know, speech is kind of like nuclear power. We have nuclear power in our mouths. This ability uh, to, to... to use words and and like like the atom, such a small thing, you know, what's the splitting of an atom? I mean it's so small and you're splitting it in half. I mean, how small can it get? And yet it can unleash a power, a cascade of energy released that, that can be so either destructive or constructive. You know, take nuclear power in the form of a bomb and it can obliterate a city. Take nuclear power, harness it in a plant, and it can power a city and give life to thousands. And so that's how our words are. They have the power of life and of death. Uh, In fact, as I was studying uh, uh, Proverbs and sort of laying out the whole sermon series, I came to this thing on the tongue and I started writing down the different Proverbs, collecting the Proverbs on speech. And I was like, all right, I'll have one sermon on speech. But I looked at it and I was like, wow, there's a whole lot here. The Bible has a lot to say about this powerful gift we have in speech. Uh, in, in fact, this, really, this sermon that I'm preaching today is the beginning of kind of like a five-week mini-series where we're going to look at different parts of how we use our mouths and what Proverbs has to say about that. So it's kind of the beginning of a little mini-series. There's so much to be said about what we say. Um, so why is this? I, I think that's probably what I, one of the things I was wrestling with as I was studying it. The, the tongue has the power of life and death, but why is that? Why are words, you know, what are words? They're just sounds. But why are they so powerful? Why is it so critical how we use our words? Where does this power come from? And and so I kind of developed a little hypothesis. I don't know if it's totally right, but I'm just going to kind of throw it out there. And then I'll show you how I kind of came to it in the Scriptures. And just see what you think. My hypothesis is this, that part of the reason that, that the tongue holds the power of life and death is because our ability to use language is a component of what it means to be made in the image of God that it's part of our God-likeness that is powerful and that's been given to us as humans and it's a, a capacity that we have. And therefore, it's a, a powerful thing. Uh, let's go back to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. First one. one you will find that on page 1 in the Pew Bible. Genesis one. Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, right? Here's God creating the world. And what is one of the first things we learn about God in the Bible? From the very first page, what do we learn about Him? We learn that God is a talking God. That God is not uh, the force. He's not a New Age energy vibe that is all-encompassing and we are all one with this thing. No, no. He's, he's a sentient being who can talk we have a talkie god and he speaks i mean think about that and we have this story in genesis of god speaking so in verse 3 god said it's the first thing god does he says let there be light and through his speech through the power of his words god brings the whole universe into existence Um, And so we have this this wonderful story in Genesis 1 showing that God is the one who created the world. You know, it's it's so different from, if you look at some of the pagan stories of how the universe was made, pagan cosmologies, and they're always very violent or bizarre. Um, You know, one of the stories uh, in in the Babylonian literature involves this big battle between uh, the god Marduk and the, the, the god of chaos, Tiamat, and, and Marduk kills Tiamat and then he tears her body apart and he uses the body parts to form the world, you know? It, it's just it's so different in the Bible. Instead of the, the sun and the moon being gods in this huge sort of uh, reality TV show of the cosmos, in the Bible it's very orderly. There is one God and He speaks. And He orders this world in which we live. And He uses His Word. So anyway, so He creates all kinds of things Verse 24, it says, And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. Livestock, uh, creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. So God speaks all these animals into existence, and we see the world around us is not some blind, randomly evolved thing. It's a beautiful work of art. You know, I was down in Florida, I was snorkeling, seeing all these cool fish. And I'm like, is this just random blind evolution? Or could this be the handiwork of a whimsical artist? You know, we see it that way. It's beautiful. It's amazing to see what God has created. But he creates all the animals according to their kind. And then in verse 26, one of the most important sections of the Bible, then God says, let us make man according to his kind. No, let us make man in our image. So, human beings are made in a different way than the rest of animals, in our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So, we're made in God's image. What does that mean? (sighs) It means a lot of things. And I wish, that's probably a whole other sermon series, you know? Right, just There's a lot wrapped up in that, you know, to be made in the image of God. But I think, uh, you know, including ruling over the world and being God's representatives on earth in our moral capacity. But I think wrapped up in that, one of the components of being made in God's image is that we've been empowered with language. That we're speaking beings like God is. In fact, isn't it interesting, right after God makes us in His image, what's the first thing He does in verse 28? He starts talking to us. God blessed them and said to them. And so we have this talking God, talking to his people, and it really separates us. You know, animals can't talk. Animals don't have language. And you're going, no, wait a minute, my, my, dog, my dog communicates. You know, my cat communicates, which could be an issue. We may need to talk about that. But, um, the of the, you know, yeah, yeah, animals communicate, but that's different from language. You see the difference? There's a difference in communication language. Like the dolphin goes like... You know, right? And the other dolphin goes... And they've communicated. Like one dolphin has sent a message to another dolphin and it, and it means something like, you know, hey, I'm over here. The group's over here. Or watch out, predator. Or, you know, come here, baby dolphin. Come back to mommy or, or whatever. But, but that's not language. You know, in language... So, kind of what makes language language, first of all, is, is the ability to have syntax and grammar where you can move different words around. It's not like if you put the click before the whistle or the whistle before the click, it means something totally different. But in human speech, if I say Eve killed the snake or the snake killed Eve in English, that means totally different things. And, so, and also, you know, we have an infinite number of ideas that we can communicate through language. You know, animals don't have that. You know, it's not like, it's not like, you know, like, oh, there's some fish over here. Yeah, well, what kind? Well, you know, they're herrings. Oh, well, I don't really like herrings. You know, well, why not? Well, you know, when I was two, I had a herring and I threw up. Oh, that's sick. You know. That's language. Language is the ability to create an infinite number of ideas and things that are shared back and forth. Animals don't have that. Human beings have been hardwired with it. Uh, you know, language is an amazing instinct that God has given us, you might say. In fact, uh, I was reading this study that was done. It was really fascinating. It was about uh, deaf children who were raised in families where the parents chose not to teach them sign language because they were going to wait till the children were a little over, older than then teach them how to lip read and how to um, you know, just vocalize based on lip reading. So that was just the choice the family made. But It was interesting. They studied the kids, and guess what happened? The kids invented their own sign language. So it just was in them. And and as they got older and developed, it's called home sign, they started developing their home sign language. It developed grammatically and syntactically at the same rate at which a hearing kid would be developing grammatically and syntactically their own grasp of English or whatever language they were learning. So the kids invented a language. Like how can an 18-month-old invent a language? It's like the, the same reason a new spider can spin a web. Because it's just... Hardwired into who we are, this isn't God's creation amazing that that we can that we're like that, and so or, or look back at Genesis here, Genesis chapter two, isn't it interesting that we see this division between God, human beings made in his image, and the rest of the animals? It says in chapter two verse eighteen, here's the famous story where God creates Eve for Adam. the Lord God said it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So we have all the animals brought for Adam. In a sense, Adam participates with God in the creative work using words to create identity and order within, the God, within God's creation. To, to create meaning through his words in, in a sort of an analogous way through God. And so that's why words hold the power of life and death. I think it's part of our God-likeness in an analogous way. You know, I'm not saying we're God by any stretch of the man, but we're His image bearers on earth. And so part of carrying out that role is using words which hold power, which, you know, in, in a sense, I hope you understand what I'm saying, create, not in the way that God can create something that doesn't exist, but things are created when we speak. Reality is affected through words. So our words hold the power of life and death. Uh, Whether it's two people sharing an email exchange, or whether it's two people signing to each other, or someone talking to someone else at Starbucks, or uh, a novel or a short story, or the words that you hear coming through your iPod earbuds, listening to the words in a song, or great speeches that have been given that have affected a nation. You know, I think of uh, Martin Luther King's Junior speech. "I Have a Dream." If you ever read that speech, it's a very short speech, very concise, but you know, so powerful. Here is one guy standing in front of the Lincoln Memorial, speaking a few words, but how those words galvanize and focus the dreams of a nation. But just words, it's so powerful. <clears throat> and so, words truly do hold uh, the power of life and death. And I think what that means for us is, and probably what I'm driving at in terms of an application for us here, is that we have to really take seriously what we say. That's a critical part of following Jesus is thinking about what we say and how it affects people. See, I think a lot of times um, we, we probably don't think so seriously about our words. It's like, ah, just something I said. It's okay. I didn't mean it. Whatever. Just words. But... Words really do matter. They really affect things. And we have to be very cautious with words. Um, <clears throat> they're powerful things. We have nuclear energy that we have to think about. And, and I think that a lot of times we don't think that way, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, we, uh, we don't think about that as a critical part of our Christian discipleship. You know, so we're like, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What do you do to follow Jesus? What does that look like? Oh, well, uh, I go to church and, um, you know, I, I go to a Bible study and I tithe and I help out on the committee at church. And yeah, those are parts, those are expressions of our following Christ, but what about every time I open my mouth as part of my Christian discipleship? That God cares about what we say because what we say has radical impact. So I think that's kind of the takeaway from all of this is to, to begin to think about what do I say, what am I saying, and how does that affect things? That God really cares about the kinds of things that we say. Our words truly do hold the power of life and of death in different ways um, and so uh, I guess what I'd like to do in just kind of wrapping this up is to think with you a little bit about how that plays itself out but let's first think about the negative some of the ways that death uh, that words can bring about death and destruction and that sounds really cheery but then we'll end with a positive and think about how our words can bring life and how they can build up so first of all the negative and I'm going to try something a little weird here I did this in the 830 service. It kind of worked. I don't know if it's going to work here. Maybe you're a little more respectable people, but we'll just try it. Um, but what I did was I just, I had the congregation brainstorm with me about the different ways that our words can either sin or bring about ruin or, or harm. And, and I just had people raise their hands and I would call on someone and they'd say, Uh, how about this or how about that? And if you say something wrong, I'll just mock you. So it's okay. Um, it can't, it can't hurt. But, uh, but I came up with my list. Oh, here's my list. I have this list of ways. I just tried to brainstorm on my own and see if you guys can come up with some ways that we use our words uh, to harm others. Like, for instance, I'll throw out an easy one. Lying. That's easy. Lying. I mean, yeah, that's destructive. But anyone else? Just, just poke your hand up and it'll just be a little weird. Yeah, right over there. Anger. Yeah, anger, angry words, argumentativeness, exploding verbally. That's right. Got that one. That's cool. Yeah, right here, Lynn. Being critical. Being uh, tearing people down, discouraging people, I remember when i was uh, I was a camp counselor when I was in high school at a Bible camp for little elementary school kids, and we had a tug of war going on, and our job as camp counselors is to cheer for our side Now, i 'm very competitive i 'm very laid back, but you put me in a game, and you know I love you in jesus name and i 'm going to destroy you in the game so <laughs> that 's how I am with games. I like to win <clears throat> so you know, And, and I'm, I'm a teenager. I'm getting carried away. And I'm cheering our team on. I'm like, go! Oh, go, pull! You know, and it's a fight. And then I look over at the other team, and I'm like, well, you know, a little psychological warfare. So I said, you're losing! You know? <laughs> and and I, could, I saw, like, as those words, like, w- you know, washed over them like a wave, you could see these little kids kind of go... And then they lost. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if that was good. So... <laughs> Another one of the camp counselors was like, can I talk to you for a minute? And so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Criticism, discouragement, very powerful. A couple more. Let's have two or three more. Just to Balcony. Anyone in the balcony? You guys are kind of like up there in the cheap seat. Yeah. Gossip. Huge. I got a whole sermon coming just on gossip. Get over here. Yeah. Sarcasm. I kind of like sarcasm, though. That's, uh, yeah. In the back. Yes. What's that making fun? Bickering, arguing, yes. Uh, one more, I'll see, one more. Whatever. The yeah, I had that one too. Blasphemy. Yeah, do you know what to say? Hit your thumb and say, Jesus Christ. You guys know that's a sin, right? You guys know to say, Oh my God. You guys know that's taking the Lord's name in vain. You guys know that? Right. Because you're using the name of Almighty God as just a byword. So... Okay, well, go ahead, Linda, one more. Yeah, that's good. Where is he? Yes, clever. So many different ways we can destroy with our words. So let, let, me, just, uh, let me just give you my list real quick to move on here. Arguing, blaming, I had blasphemy, uh, or taking the Lord's name in vain, bragging, complaining. Uh, I, I, was, uh, I did a summer mission trip for two months in Taiwan, and I had to, one of the rules on the trip was you couldn't complain. That was the hardest thing I ever did. Adjusting to Taiwan culture, easy. Not complaining, hard, you know. Uh, discouraging, excusing sin and evil. Seeing sin and evil and being like, oh, it's no big deal. Instead of confronting sin where it needs to be confronted. False teaching. Uh, I mean, think about Marxism, Freudianism, Darwinism. And the way those ideas, regardless of how they're originally intended, have been used by Despots and tyrants to destroy lives in the 20th century. Just ideas, words on paper and books, and yet have been taken and applied in all kinds of ways. Um, insulting, justifying ourselves instead of confessing sin, lying, name calling, uh, seducing people to sin, slander, slurs, swearing, threats. I mean, it just goes on and on. It's so powerful. Th- the most destructive thing we can do with our mouths, I think, at the top of the list has to be denying belief in God. Rejecting the Gospel of Jesus. The most destructive thing you can do with your mouth is to say, I don't believe that. That's a load of garbage. I will not believe. If it says in Romans 10.9 that to confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead and you will be saved, well, the converse must also be true. To reject... The idea that Jesus is Lord and to disbelieve that he's raised from the dead must be the opposite of salvation. Um, our kids, uh, one of our kids has a teacher. And by the way, we like this teacher. This teacher does a great job and we're really happy with this teacher. But one day this teacher slipped up. You know, this, we can, uh, can happen to any of us. But I don't know what the, the context was. Something was being talked about in class about the Red Sea or the Bible or Moses or something or the Middle East. I don't know how they were on it. But the teacher said, you know, I don't, you know, we're not supposed to talk about religion here, but, right, that's always a dangerous way to start. And, and this teacher said, you know, that the Red Sea really wasn't parted. That what really happened was there was a shallow place and the tides changed and the wind came up and it just kind of looked like it was dried up. You know, like apparently he was there or something. I don't know. But, you know, he had this <laughs> theory. Um, you know, it's interesting. And, and my, my child came home and, and said, you know, I heard this in school today and, and was questioning it, which is good. You know, we, we teach our kids, you have to respect your teachers, but you don't have to believe everything they say. So respect them, treat them appropriately, but just because they said it doesn't mean that's the case, right? And I said, they have a religious viewpoint too. It's called secularism, which is just as much a religion as Christianity. And there's a religion in the schools. Just understand that going in. And so we try to communicate that, so they can think for themselves critically about everything they're hearing, or even things that we tell them. We don't have to think critically from God's word. So, uh, so anyway, I thought about that, and I was like, man, you know, telling little kids not to believe God's word, like, it, you know, kind of like lightning, just. It's a, but praise God, our speech can be used to build up, to give life, to build up faith, to give hope all of those negatives that we listed and could have, we could have kept going with the listing. You know, we, uh, you know, you could take all those negatives, you can invert them. So instead of arguing and bickering, peacemaking can be done with our lips. Uh, instead of blasphemy and taking the Lord's name in vain, praising God. Instead of bragging about ourselves, we can exalt God. Instead of complaining, we can give thanks. Instead of discouraging, we can encourage. Instead of false teaching, we can proclaim the truth. I mean, you know, the list goes on. Have you ever experienced life giving words in your own life? Have you ever had somebody in your life who has spoken life into your life? Maybe a mentor, maybe a pastor, maybe a coach you had who just spoke life into you, a friend, um, you know, a parent. Maybe some of you had great parents and they were godly and they spoke life into your life. Uh, that's a wonderful thing. God has blessed me with some people in my life. Well, many people in this church, but a, a couple key people who have had a, a significant role into speaking life into my life. And uh, one of them, some of you remember him as uh, Ray Pendleton. Some of you remember he was great. Uh, so those of you who don't know Ray Pendleton, about ten, twelve years ago, he was the interim pastor of the church while the church here was looking for a new pastor, senior pastor, and and I worked underneath him. I was the interim assistant pastor. It's not really a job title that begets confidence in one's you know job security, but that's what I was. And and it was great. Ray would come down, and uh, at the time it was me and Rich Chamberlain as a youth pastor on staff, and that was the staff. And Ray would come down Tuesdays and meet with us, and he'd come down Sundays and preach, and we kind of ran the church during the week. So anyway, I'll never forget, Ray had been here about nine months, and we went out to Bertucci's over at Exit 15. I can remember the booth we were sitting in. I was sitting on the inside. Rich was sitting next to me. Ray was over there. And we're sort of talking about, you know, where the church is going to go and what they're going to do for the next pastor. And, uh, you know, sort of batting this around. And and Ray said, well, actually, I, I, you know, I I think I know who the next pastor should be. And, you know, Rich and I were like, "Huh, cool. Well, who is it? Because, you know, we'd like to know who we're going to be working for. And, you know, do you have some inside information? Like, who is this person? And I'll never forget. Ray just looked up up from the table at me and he said, well you and i was like well first rich did the heimlich on me to get me to stop choking (laughs) like once i could breathe, i was like ray and i i mean rich and i were like what are you have you lost it like that's the dumbest thing i've ever heard you know i'm 25 years old like what do i know about anything i'm 37 now i still don't feel like i know that much Um, But I was like, what? You know, we just laughed. We're like, you know, and Rich afterwards is like, dude, he shouldn't play mind games like that with you. Because that's really. (laughs) And uh, but, you know, you know, what a moment of life giving words to to just one word. You. You like in that word, so much vision, affirmation, faith was communicated to me. Like, did I really believe that God could do something like that for me? Like, would God even care about me? Would he do something like that in my life? Like, wow, is it possible? So he's speaking faith and vision and hope and affirmation of gifts into my life. And just what a powerful experience that was to hear that, that word. And, of course, you know, I didn't believe it. It wasn't until about seven months later that I started feeling a calling to this church. It was about seven months later that the church started feeling a calling toward me. So, you know, he was... And if I was charismatic, I'd say he had a prophetic word. But uh, I'm a Baptist, so I'll just say it was spooky. But um, (laughs) be that as it may, the great thing is that just as all of us have the power of the tongue, we also all have the capacity to speak the most life-giving word that anyone can speak. And it's not the prerogative of pastors. It's given to all Christians. All of us here have the opportunity to speak the life-giving word of the gospel. No word gives more life than eternal life, which is what the gospel gives. And everyone here has a tongue or fingers to type with or fingers to sign with or however it is God has enabled you to communicate. And everybody here can communicate the gospel. And it is through the gospel that the God who created us says to wayward sinners like me, "You, I want you to follow me." Is how the gospel works. And you all know the gospel. Anyone here fuzzy on the gospel? Kind of is the gospel clear to you? Let me let me do this. Let me tell you the gospel in less than one minute. Just so you're, we're all clear on the gospel. Anyone got to watch? Who's got time? You watch. Anyone? Okay, Janet. Are you good? All right, tell me when to go. I'm going to try to do the gospel in one minute. Last, last service I had 65 seconds. I was so mad. So, all right. There is a God who created us. This God made us for Himself to know Him and enjoy Him. But we have turned away from this God. We have rejected Him like insurgents. We have rejected the rule of the King. And therefore, we are under the just condemnation and judgment of this God. That all of us here deserve... Eternal condemnation. Hell is is too good for us. But that's where we're headed. But, in mercy and love, God sent His own Son for wayward sinners like us. And that Son, Jesus, lived the perfect life that we could never live. And He died on the cross, the perfect death to pay for our sins in our place. So that Jesus gives us His righteousness and He takes our sin. And now anyone who repents of their sin who says, I am a sinner and I need a Savior, and puts their faith completely in Jesus, not in themselves, not in their own religiosity, not in their good works, but puts their faith in Christ, can have eternal life and forgiveness of sins and adoption into God's family. 62? Alright. Three second improvement. (laughs) But here's the thing. When you take that gospel message, that simple gospel message... And whether you're IMing it to a friend from school, it's so simple. Or or sending it in an email, or having a long hour-long conversation about the gospel. That's the great thing about the gospel. You can communicate it in less than a minute, or it can take you years to plumb the depths of it. And, And when you communicate that gospel message, what happens is that through the gospel, in the sovereignty of God, He speaks to people, and He says, You. You. And that's how God calls people and maybe today maybe right now God is sitting across the table from you and he's saying you is it possible that there's a creator God who loves you so much that he died for you is that possible what if it's true what would that mean for your life and for life eternally And so I would just encourage you to open your hearts to open your hearts to God Open your hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ and enter into the life to receive the life-giving Word of the Gospel as the Holy Spirit enables you. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we just close this time by asking that You would take the words of Scripture that we just studied and through the Holy Spirit implant them into our hearts so that they would uh, be like seed on the good soil and would bear fruit. God, I pray that you would um, enable us to be sensitized to the use of our words, that we would think about the life and death that comes out of our mouths. God, I pray for this congregation that we would be a church that increasingly speaks life through our mouths, that you would continue to sanctify our lips to make us people who more and more use our mouths to bring the life of the gospel and of the glory of God to others. And Lord, I, I pray for anyone here, God, who doesn't know You, that, that they would just have that amazing experience of You speaking into their heart, calling them to them, Yourself. And Lord, knowing that when You speak and You call, that we answer. And so God, just speak into hearts here, I pray today. You know what the condition of each of our souls. You know which of us here have, have come to know You and which of us haven't. And God, we just pray in Your mercy You would continue to draw us all to Yourself. And so Lord, be at work in our midst and be at work through our lips. We ask this in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Um, Can we just close by singing Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus? Do you guys know that song? Let's have you stand. And after the service, our prayer team is over here in the alcove, Dan and Elizabeth Bass. And if you like to pray, they'd love to pray confidentially with you over there. On the side. They've been praying for us during the whole service. So, um, let's just sing this song together. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of His glory and grace. And now, Heavenly Father, I pray that You would send us out into this dry, barren desert that we call the South Shore of Boston. And that, Lord, each of us would be a fountain of life through our mouths. God, give us a chance this week to share some portion of that simple gospel message. And, Lord, we pray for the the rains of revival to come again that this area would be awakened again with the gospel the lord uh people who are